Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com, where we answer the questions you ask about Metro Phoenix. I'm your host, Kayla White. March is Women's History Month. So we're rounding out this month with the story of two women who dedicated their careers and retirements to educational equity in Arizona. Their names were Betty and Jean Fairfax. Those names might sound familiar. Betty H. Fairfax High School in the Phoenix Union District is named after the oldest sister. She's the only former educator in the district with a high school named after her. How did that happen? What kind of legacy did the Fairfax sisters leave in Arizona? Producer Maritza Dominguez takes us into their lives. Betty and Jean Fairfax were born in Cleveland, Ohio in 1918 and in 1920, respectively. Their parents both graduated from college, despite the educational roadblocks faced by African Americans at that time. They grew up with an understanding that education was important for them to pursue. To learn more about Betty and Jean, I spoke with a woman who was close to them during the later portion of their lives. My name is Robin Kulan, and uh, I was a good friend uh, and uh, of Jean and Betty Fairfax. I am currently the successor trustee of both of their trusts. The sisters were products of the Cleveland public school system. After graduating high school, they pursued higher education. Betty went to Case Western Reserve University in Ohio and graduated with a degree in education. She continued with a master's degree from Kent State University. Jean left home to attend the University of Michigan in the 1930s. She was the only African-American and the only African-American woman in her class. She became a member of Phi Beta Kappa. She excelled tremendously and graduated from University of Michigan, went on to get a master's degree in world religions at uh, Union uh, Theological Institute. While both women valued education, their lives took different paths. So Jean went on uh, and she worked uh, with the American Friends Service Committee and after the war traveled throughout Europe, uh, restoring and rebuilding in Vienna, uh, traveling throughout Africa. This was a woman in her 20s, a young woman traveling on her own throughout Europe, but uh, really solidifying her love of religions and the belief that religions could be the role of equity. Jean's time in Europe shaped the way she saw life. Robin called Jean a refined woman with classical tastes. She loved European art and classical music. She was always dressed to the nines. Jean felt welcomed in Vienna. And she had been adopted by families there that just accepted her. And so that really impacted her coming back to the States and facing racism when she had been so loved and embraced in Europe. Upon returning to the States, Jean got to work. She worked in the South desegregating schools. That's where she learned about the work done by the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund. That's a legal fund fighting for racial justice through litigation, advocacy, and public education. Jean joined the organization in 1965 and was active in it until her retirement in 1984. 
She was the uh, NAACP Legal Defense Fund's Division of Legal Information and Community Service Director. And in that role, she was responsible for many inroads uh, with regards to uh, free lunch programs for kids, equity in schools, um, looking at poverty, with uh, uh, you know the idea of really bringing social justice and equity to not only education but to healthcare to uh, all across the spectrum. To Robin and many in the community, Gina is considered an unsung civil rights hero. While working to desegregate schools in the South, she also escorted children to school. She did this to ensure Black children attended desegregated schools in accordance with the law. While Jean worked with the NAACP, Betty worked as a teacher in Cleveland, Ohio, until she heard about an opportunity in Phoenix. Uh, she heard about a school out in Arizona, uh, the Carver uh, High School, which was recruiting uh, African-American or Black teachers at the time uh, who had master's degrees. So she drove from uh, Cleveland to Arizona by herself, she made the cross-country drive and arrived in Arizona in 1950. Carver High School was still a segregated school at that time. Betty not only worked as a teacher in the Phoenix Union School District, but she also coached tennis and softball. As a young girl, sports were a passion of hers, a skill passed on from her father. In a video produced by the City of Phoenix, Josephine Pete, a former student of Betty's, said that Betty knew the desegregation of schools was coming. So Betty prepared us for much more than softball. She prepared us for life. Betty worked for the district for more than 50 years. She also worked as a guidance counselor during that time. She conquered uh, many things and was very um, instrumental to see a lot of equity brought to students across the spectrum. Um, you know, there are many students of all races and nationalities that owe a lot to Betty Fairfax, uh, encouraging them to continue their educations, going out to their homes, calling their parents, doing whatever it took to keep kids in school, number one, to keep them motivated, number two, and to find them scholarships and ways to go to college. After Jean retired, she joined her sister in Phoenix. But Jean's retirement didn't include lounging at home. Instead, she looked for ways to continue the effort in educational equity. And they decided to pool their modest resources uh, and to continue their passionate crusade for equity in education. And so they created various scholarships. Jean believed she could make a difference through philanthropy. Over the years, both sisters invested well in stocks and real estate. They weren't by any means millionaires, but they had money they could use to invest in students and education. On top of that, they used their voices to rally the community to also donate to their causes. Jean began serving on boards and working with women in philanthropy. She realized there weren't many people of color working in philanthropic causes. But she said, but, you know, when I look around, Black people are very generous. They give to a lot of causes. It's just that the traditional philanthropic systems haven't embraced people of color. 
they started their first fund with the Southern Educational Fund. It's a nonprofit dedicated to elevating learning for low-income students in southern states. They named the fund after their parents. Then, they looked at how they could set up individual funding for students here in the state. The Fairfax sisters adopted the 8th grade class of Butane Elementary School in Phoenix in 1987. They promised the 8th graders that if they went to college, they would receive $1,000 for each year they attended college. But what happened, unfortunately, was that when all the kids graduated from 8th grade and went to other high schools, they weren't tracked in the system. There wasn't a star on their file saying, this kid has a college education paid for or promised, at least at an Arizona school. So we lost track of a lot of the kids through that process, unfortunately. But they didn't give up. Betty and Jean continue to set up scholarships at their college alma maters and with the Cleveland Foundation. Here's Jean working with the University of Michigan in 2008, asking for donors' help. Your involvement as uh, persons who are making your own history important to the university as we move together in this new era. The sisters also set up three funds with the Arizona Community Foundation. They intended to prove that women of modest means could essentially give away a million dollars worth of scholarship funds just by, uh, through their investments and through leveraging some of, uh, of you know, um, the community investment. In 2006, Betty retired from the Phoenix Union School District. The next year, the district opened a new school in Levine. When it came to naming the school, Betty's name was mentioned as a possibility. As a well-known figure within the education community in Phoenix, it was a perfect fit. The organizers went to Phil Gordon, the Phoenix mayor at that time, to get his support. Here's how Phil remembers that. I said, absolutely, and let me know what to, what's needed, and nothing was needed. I mean, it was, like, you know, very obvious to everyone. Yeah, like, duh. <laughs> I don't know how you translate that, but... Uh, so, um, uh, you know, and that was a, certainly a fitting tribute uh, for someone that devoted her whole life to education. Then, on January 11, 2007, the school board unanimously approved the name. Betty was later honored at the state capitol with former Governor Janet Napolitano. The first time in that district's history that a school has been named after an employee. Now, therefore, I... Janet Napolitano, governor of the state of Arizona, do hereby recognize Betty H. Fairfax uh, on this very day. Congratulations. I asked Robin how Betty reacted to the news. You know, she took it in stride, but she was so proud that she would go out there with her hard hat on and see the construction of the school and kind of supervise. At the dedication ceremony for the high school, she spoke with the incoming freshman class and made them a promise. She promised uh, all 490 students in the auditorium that day, the first freshman class, if they finished and graduated high school, that um, she would fund scholarships for them. 
Betty and Jean's influence extended beyond education as well. The sisters were respected in the community, writ large, because of their work. And this next story proves that. When Phil Gordon began his political career running for the Phoenix City Council, he was advised to meet with Betty and Jean. And uh, I went to Betty's house where she and her sister were there and uh, was interviewed. (laughs) Um, And when I told them uh, about what I wanted to do as a councilman and uh, my background, which was education major and a teacher and then my two aunts and my sister uh, were all educators, you know, the family believed in education, that I was the first in my family to go on to college, uh, graduate school. So uh, Betty said, okay, you're the education mayor. He said, no, no, I'm running for city council. Betty responded with, okay, you'll be the educational council member and then mayor. I think, I guess she set me on my path uh, years ago. He said she always expected the best from her students and from himself. Betty liked Phil and planned to support him, so she asked him to send over one of his campaign signs to put out on her front lawn. So I had somebody drop off a yard sign, and I got a call that evening at home. And uh, she said, no, no, I want one of those big yard signs, which she meant the four feet by eight foot, you know, uh, street signs. But that's what she wanted, and I got her one, even though she wasn't on the main street. And uh, every time after that, uh, I made sure that she had the large sign. And, uh, you know, we did. Uh, she gave me some ideas for uh, the education agenda. Over the years, he would continue to seek out her advice. He called her his de facto grandmother after losing his own years prior. Betty died on November 7, 2010, at 89 years old. Her obituary stated that in lieu of flowers, friends were asked to donate to the Betty Fairfax Fund with the Arizona Community Foundation to continue to fund scholarships for students at her namesake high school. Jean and Robin also found another way to honor her memory. I established a fund with Jean at the Arizona Community Foundation when Betty passed away uh, called the Betty uh, Fairfax Memorial Fund. And through that fund, we were able to give grants to um, several amazing uh, nonprofits. Then in 2019, Jean died at 98 years old. And in 2020, Betty and Jean Fairfax were inducted into the Arizona Women's Hall of Fame. It's a way the state commemorates women who've played a significant role in the state's history. As the successor trustee of the Sisters Trust, Robin continues their work. I've continued their work uh, as, as, as the best I can, uh, but they really instilled in me um, uh, a vision and a commitment uh, that was just contagious. And so, uh, you know, they're two remarkable women who've influenced my life greatly not only personally, but professionally. Um, And they taught me how to see philanthropy not only as a way uh, to achieve what we want, but to also engage other people in achieving what they want. Robin told me that over the summer in 2020, during the Black Lives Matter movement, a local skateboarding company learned about the sisters' legacy and donated to their fund. 
So their legacy continues without me even doing or saying anything, just people knowing about them, knowing about their work, knowing about their passion for education and their real desire to bring equity and justice to our community. Hey listeners, it's me, Kayla again. Now we know the legacy behind the name Fairfax and what it means to Phoenicians. Thanks Maritza for taking us down memory lane with these two sisters during Women's History Month. If you're interested in donating to the funds created by Jean and Betty, you can go to azfoundation.org. As a courtesy note, audio in today's episode comes from the Phoenix TV Classroom and UM Philanthropy on YouTube. If you have more questions about Metro Phoenix's history, submit them to us at valley101.azcentral.com. And if you're a regular listener of our show, please consider supporting it by subscribing to azcentral.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. See you next week.